0: This is Austin Pace with BYU-Idaho Radio, and I'm joined today by Republican House Representative Wendy Horman. Horman serves on the Environment, Energy, and Technology Committee and is in leadership for the Nuclear Energy Commission. She is the founder of the Idaho Energy and Technology Caucus and is also chair of the Appropriations Committee. Thank you for joining me, Representative. Good to be here. Thanks, Austin. Awesome. So what are your thoughts so far on the legislative session? What has gone well, and what are some things that you would like to see change?
1: It's busy. Uh, every session is busy, but uh, as chair of the appropriation committee, we have made some really important changes to the budget process this year, increasing the transparency for uh, the growth of government, the spending of government, as well as increasing the accountability for that spending. And so we have, uh, I, I won't go into detail, but uh, taxpayers have uh, good reason to be excited. There's and so much federal money flowing into the state uh, in in the wake of the pandemic. And we need to make sure that at the end of this session, we are left with a size of government that Idaho taxpayers can afford and not one they bought during a pandemic when uh, we were kind of swimming in cash. So the, those are some important improvements to the budget process this year.
0: Yeah. And JFAC has kind of been doing it a little bit differently this year. What's been different with how the money is being distributed?
1: So the, it's uh, it's more about the process of the budget than um, how the money is distributed. But the, we are setting bills this year, learning from uh, the state of Utah, candidly, who comes into session. They set maintenance budgets. In other words, they take everything that the state agency received last year, and then they... They reappropriate those funds. So they have their base budget in place, and then they separately consider growth. So new employees, new cars, new computers, new programs. And so what that's doing is allowing the budget committee to really focus on uh, growth in government instead of what's in the base budget. Now, we will be looking this summer to take a deeper dive into what's in those base budgets. We had an analysis done by our staff. JFAC stands for Joint Finance and Appropriations Committee, by the way. That's that House Appropriations Committee, which I chair, and the Senate Finance Committee. We meet jointly to consider these budgets. We're unique, most uh, other committee all other committees have like House education, Senate education, and they do not meet jointly except on rare occasions for presentations. The budgets different. We meet together, we vote together. so what uh, what this is doing is allowing us uh, we had an analysis done by our JFAC staff that shows that during a legislative session which usually only runs seventy five to eighty days, legislative days, not including weekends, we only take a look at about 19% of all the people's money that comes in to fund state government. Senator Groh, the the Senate finance chair, and I want to change that. We want to make sure that we're looking at all of the money that goes through government, that it's being used for the purposes it was requested, and that it's being used efficiently and effectively. So we are Uh, Planning to do some meetings this summer to review what's in those base budgets and eventually take a look at all the money that is, uh, all the taxpayers' money that is uh, spent for state agencies, education, health and welfare, uh, public safety, all of those things.
0: Perfect. So it seems like things are going pretty well in the legislative session. So what has surprised you most about this session?
1: Oh, good question. Uh, There are... uh, Election years are always different than non-election years. Uh, There's uh, always people saying, well, you're going to get, you know, you'll lose your election if you vote this way or that way. And, And that's, you know, that's no way to make a decision on how to vote on a bill. It's best just to look at the bill, decide if you support it or if you don't, and then be able to explain those consequences to the voters. That's how I like to do it. Go home. I take some tough votes. Uh, we all do. I think we know that the Republican Party in, in our part of the state has come after some Republican legislators for uh, voting particular ways. Well, we the people elected us to represent them. And while I support the Republican platform, you know, my interpretation of that platform might be a little different than someone else's platform or uh, position. And that's okay. That's how politics is supposed to work. So um, I think there's, during an election year, there's uh, a lot of visibility and a lot of attention on what we do. The filing period opens Monday, so we'll, we'll know soon who, who will be filing to run for re-election and who will uh, be filing to run against people who are incumbents in the process. And so that that always makes for an interesting session.
0: So since the first bill of the session was introduced on January 9th, lawmakers have worked to draft 717 bills and counting, which is a record pace over the last five years. For example, 570 bills were drafted by this point in the session in the 2023 legislative session, while just 511 were drafted by this time in the 2019 legislative session. So why are so many pieces of legislation being drafted? Do you believe that has anything to do with it being an election election year?
1: Here's, here's my opinion on that, and I, I could be wrong, but here's what I think. Last year, uh, when we had uh, a new legislative class come in, we had just come off of redistricting, and that's when every 10 years we take the census and we, uh, we realign population base with the representatives. Representative. And so a lot of people leave then. Boundaries change. Some people aren't even their district anymore. And so last year's class of legislators coming in was the largest in Idaho history. In the House alone, there were 31 new representatives. And my class in 2012, which was also immediately after redistricting uh, happened in the census from 2010, was 30 people. So when you have that, that 31 out of 70 were brand new. And when you have that many people coming in, it takes a while to learn the process. It takes a while to learn what issues are important to the voters that you represent. And so I think last year's numbers maybe were closer to normal because there were a lot of people still trying to learn the process and you know, where to even go to get a bill drafted and those sorts of things. So I do think that as freshmen came in last year, they learned the process and now they're ready, more ready to go to work with those uh, issues that they know matter and um, dig in and get to work. So that's my best explanation for why we have so many bills this session.
0: Right. And a lot of them have been coming in that, Are kind of controversial within the public on if it matters or not, or if the legislature should be focusing on it. And one of those uh, biggest, like one of the biggest topics within that, within this legislative session, has to do with harmful material to minors, whether it be in libraries or on the internet. So I'd like to talk a little bit about House Bill 498 relating to liability for publishers and distributors of material harmful to minors on the internet. So could you tell me a little bit on why you believe it's an issue the legislators should be focusing on?
1: Yes, I think it's a critical issue that legislators should be focusing on. Uh, the, the research on this, if you haven't read The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, he has a new book coming out this year. I'm going to forget the name of it. Anyway, he has some fascinating research about the harm that is happening to our children from social media, from pornography, uh, the impact it's having on their minds, on their mental and behavioral health. And so I think this is a critical question to address immediately. You are seeing some nations even, and uh, states start to talk about banning smartphones in school. I've seen the research on that. I went to a course on that last fall. And the harm that's being done to our children is significant. And I think we need to take every action possible to protect them from harmful materials, even habits we develop from using social media. And so what this bill does is um, make sure that children have some protection, that there's some age verification uh, processes in place to make sure that uh, internet providers and uh, folks online are not providing harmful materials to minors. This is an approach that has uh, stood up in other states as being constitutional and uh, defensible in the courts. Uh, There are are always people who want to argue free speech and I fully support free speech, this bill does not interfere with that. And it does offer us the opportunity to offer some protection to minors.
0: So it seems like it's 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 gone well in other states, or I guess different variations of what this bill is trying to do. So you do, do you believe the bill will pass here in Idaho?
1: It passed unanimously in the House, just a couple, well, let's see, it looks like on Valentine's Day, February 14th. So it's... On the uh, third reading calendar for the Senate, which is the final reading, uh, because we want to make sure that we're transparent about the bills we're passing, they always go through a first reading and then a second reading and then a third reading. It's not till the third reading of the bill that we actually vote on it. So as of today, that bill is on the third reading calendar in the Senate, And uh, they do have a very full calendar over there in the Senate, many bills to be voted upon. But I would say in the next few days, that bill will be voted upon in the Senate.
0: Perfect. So on to my my next question, I, I want to touch a little bit on House Bill 615 that would restrict public aid for undocumented immigrants, making Idaho, quote, less attractive for undocumented people. So, the committee voted in a 7 to 5 vote to hold the bill in committee. So, could you give me your thoughts on the bill and why you believe it was held?
1: You know, I am not on that committee, so I can't speak to exactly why the committee did what they did. Uh, my understanding of the bill is that it still allowed access to emergency medical services, but that it did remove some non emergency health care benefits. And so, unfortunately, I'm not on that committee. I can't, I can't speak to the decision that they made, but um, I assume the concern of the, the sponsors of the bill uh, were concerned that um, Idaho taxpayers are not footing the bill for folks who haven't taken the time to come here legally. Uh, that would be my best guess as to why they ran that bill.
0: So do you, I mean, just in your own opinion, do you believe that it would ultimately benefit the citizens of Idaho?
1: The fiscal note on the bill doesn't say that there's cost savings. It just says it will reduce benefits. So I don't know that I can say whether it would benefit Idahoans or not. There are, I wear a widow's mite necklace during the legislative session because I know that many Idahoans, sacrificed tremendously to be able to pay their taxes. Uh, My own aunt lost her home over the um, rapid increase of property taxes. And so I'm always conscientious, and and of course, I'm the appropriations chairman, so (laughs) it's to be expected that we are cognizant of citizens who make tremendous sacrifices. And so I do think there's a fairness issue there that If there are citizens who can't afford food for themselves, health care for themselves, health insurance for themselves, I think there is a fairness question there about why they should be paying for that for others who have not chosen to legally come to this country. Do I believe in compassion for those who have needs? Absolutely. But I also believe in compassion for those who can't afford these things for themselves.
0: So the House voted unanimously to pass House Bill 575, which would make it a crime to share sexually explicit images of real people that were generated by artificial intelligence. Could you tell me a little bit about this bill?
1: Yeah, that was another one that passed unanimously. Once in a while, politicians, we get into this uh, battle over, uh, you know, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? And you know, I, I support one or the other, or neither in some cases. This bill is another example of where there is no dispute. In fact, on this bill, it was a Republican and a Democrat who sponsored it together. And so, uh, I in fact, I would say there are more bills that pass with bipartisan support than not. And uh, it's some of those uh, issues that have... Oh, tremendous. They get a lot of attention, but it overlooks bills like this where you can come together and you can say this this artificial intelligence approach creates tremendous risks. I mean, let let's face it. The operative word in artificial intelligence is artificial. It's not real. It's fake. And that's what this bill is creating a misdemeanor to say, if if you're going to do this, if you're going to uh, annoy, terrify, threaten, intimidate, harass, humiliate, we're going to come after you. And that's what this bill does. And I think that's a good thing.
0: So AI has been one of those hot topics as well during this legislative session. And I've heard a couple of bills that have been drafted or introduced with respect to AI. So is the use of artificial intelligence becoming a problem that the people of Idaho should worry about? And why is it becoming such a problem?
1: You know, I think there's tremendous risk, but I think there's tremendous potential as well. I chair the Energy and Technology Caucus, and just yesterday we had a lunch meeting where Sal Khan from Khan Academy, if you're not familiar with that, it's a, it's a, a global uh, nonprofit that strives to help any child learn without cost. And a lot of uh, students use it uh, who just need supplemental help or tutoring. They have developed a new tool using AI that's called Conmigo. And I have a friend that sits next to me on the floor um, who said in Spanish that means uh, with me or with us or something like that. And and that's exactly what this tool is. So South did a demonstration for about 30 legislators yesterday to show that AI doesn't need to be the destruction of education or the replacement of teachers or anything like that. It can actually help us learn to write better. It can help us learn to problem-solve better. And it can uh, create engaging tools for learning uh, where our students' interests are, right? Uh, The other thing that it does is uh, they, in in one of the pilots that's uh, been running this year in another state, Uh, another county in another state, it is saving teachers five to six hours a week because it can assist with grading. It can assist with uh, lesson planning. It can assist with um, uh, developing assessments for students to take that are meaningful. And so if you at Salcon has an amazing TED Talk do you have any interest at all in the ways that AI could be beneficial to education? I recommend you go out and find that uh, because it, it it will inspire you with the potential. And then I think what this bill does is help to start to guard against the risk. I think we need both.
0: So what these bills are doing and what the legislature is trying to do is they're trying to highlight the good parts of AI making sure that, you know, the destructive parts that can be used for bad have consequences if they're using that in that way. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. That was my point in inviting Sal Khan to present uh, to legislators here was to make sure we have the vision that there's benefits, there's risk, and we need to account for both.
0: Perfect. So what are you most excited for about week eight of the legislative session?
1: Well, we are winding down on the budget hearing process, and that's always a good feeling. There's about 100 budget bills that we have to move, and um, next week will be our last week of budget hearings, and then the week after that will be uh, our last days of budget setting. And that's where we take all the information we've learned, and we get together and we decide what budget they should get. The agencies come in and say, we need this, we need that. And we evaluate it and say, do you really? I mean, some teenagers think they need a new phone every time a new model comes out, right? But do they really? And that's our job, to go in and make sure there's no fluff in these budgets and that what's being requested is necessary for the operation of government, but not extravagant. And uh, so that will will finalize. uh, coming up here in the next week or two, and uh, that's always a good feeling when you're the appropriations chairman.